0: Hello and welcome to Strong Habits, the feminist fitness podcast from me, your host, Coach Penny Varveridis. This is episode 51. I have Gaia sat on my lap. She wants to really be involved. So if you can hear her purring, you're, you're welcome, I guess, or sorry, depending on how it makes you feel. How are you doing? I am good. Thank you very much. I rearranged my living room yesterday and now I have so much space and it's excellent. And I cannot believe that I've lived in such cramp, cramped quarters, gosh, that's hard to say, for two years, unnecessarily. Well, one year unnecessarily, I suppose. One person takes up much less space than two people. I'll do the middle room next and move my bookcase. Books are so heavy and many, so I really need to build myself up to that sort of task. I've actually filled all of my book space now, so we'll need to probably also get myself some more shelves for my living room library. I know, I know, you're probably thinking I should just get a Kindle, excuse me little cat, but I enjoy the feel of a book, and the aesthetic of being surrounded by them, and also it's just much easier to read from a book than it is from a screen, usually. In today's episode, I have a really exciting guest, but before I introduce him, I want to let you know that you can pre-order the Strong Habits 30 Day Bender from my website, pennyvarvaridis.com forward slash 30 day bender, or just go to the website and click the bender button at the top. For 30 days, you will focus on your flexibility with a specific goal of building a deeper range and build strength and control in those end range positions, learning how to move your body well. This is very important. The intense, na- the intense nature of this mobility protocol will allow you to make huge progress in quite a short amount of time. It's a digital product and it will be yours forever with video demonstrations of all of the workouts and a clear explanation of how to run through the program. You'll also get a discount price on my new mobility subscription service, Bender, for just 7 50 a month instead of 9 dollars 99 So many bargains just for you. The early bird price for the 30 day bender is £50, get in there quick before the price goes up in November. Anyway, without further ado, let me introduce Greg Slater, Head of Education for Lift The Bar and owner of Lift The Bar Training. Greg is a real authority on training and we are lucky to have him on Strong Habits today talking about health and longevity. I hope you will learn some things. Enjoy. Hi Greg welcome welcome thanks so much for coming on the show how are you doing?
1: I'm really good thank you for having me on.
0: Thank you for being here I think it's going to be really interesting for our listeners so why don't we start with you just telling everyone a bit about what you do.
1: Sure so um, my predominant role currently is head of education at Lift the Barn you can kind of see our little magazines and stuff on the wall behind me so we're a kind of central hub of education support whatever you want to call it mentoring CPD for personal trainers We really are passionate about trying to raise that standard and make sure that anybody who is in it for the right reasons can stick around and have a decent career because I'm sure as you may have experienced, Penny, the the level of training that you do uh, get to enter the industry is quite low. And then it's a case of I've seen a lot of good people kind of not make it because they weren't trained to a high enough standard. So hopefully we can be that support network and that education for those guys and girls. So I create a lot of the content currently for that. Um, around programme design and nutrition or, or, or things like that. Uh, I also own a personal training course, so lift-the-bar training, um, and I'm also a currently one-to-one trainer, kind of knocked the uh, semi-private on the head um, during COVID, and I'm going to look to do a lot more group coaching online, I think, in the future potentially. So education mainly, but I still am an active coach.
0: I think it's actually incredible how little we learn in the PT course. I I think I've been a PT for four or five years now, And I'd never actually lifted before. I was a martial artist. And then I did this six week course. And then I was allowed to teach people how to deadlift. And it actually blows my mind a little bit because I didn't know yet. I didn't know how to do it. Um, And it's, yeah, I am grateful for things like lift the bar where I have been able to learn how to do things better. So thanks. Mm -hmm.
1: When you when you start to look into it, I find it, yeah, utterly terrifying. That's basically why we created our PT course, which is like a year long, and then hopefully people go into lift the bar education. So I've probably been obsessed by training and nutrition and all that kind of stuff for at least 15 years now, at least 15 years. And I'm acutely aware every day of, in the grand scheme of things, how little I know because, you know, for every – all of the thousand areas that we probably need to know about as personal trainers – Somebody has spent their entire career looking at that one area, and I've got one of those kind of personalities. Wherever I'm, like, I want to know as much as that guy, and I want to know as much as that girl, I want to know as much as them. And you're never going to do it as a personal trainer. But there is so much to learn; it's so multifaceted. But we get this thing where it's like, do six weeks, or even online courses now. Like, do an online course, and I'm like, you would not let if you got a taxi driver come up and was like, "Oh, pass my theory. Never done a, never done a practical. But you want to jump in the back of my taxi? like no mate you need to go and practice driving and it's like it's the same thing with personal training right um so yeah it, it's, it's completely scary that we just let these people go out on their own and we're not doing them a, a service we're, we're doing a disservice to the people they try and look after um because we know know the listeners to the show you know i know how important i think it's probably what we're talking about today how important exercise is um but so many people have such a bad experience with it through either bad information they're given or bad personal training. And then those people are kind of lost or it takes a lot to win them back. And so that's one of the big things that I'm, I'm kind of passionate about, I suppose.
0: How can people listening identify who's going to be a decent personal trainer and who's not?
1: Yeah, good question. It is tough. I think trying to look at that trainer firstly when they are training someone, do they give them their full attention? big one are they prepared are they kind of doing stuff off the cuff like i made a little joke post the other day that personal training has the um highest rate of people with a photographic memory in any industry in the world simply because you see so many trainers walking around with no training plan no book in front of them no ipad whatever it is and they're just going um yeah we'll do this and then um yeah we'll do some of that over there keep going two more of those and they've not planned a session they've not thought about your goals and they're just kind of putting people through the same sessions you know to them, the man or woman that owns a hammer, everyone looks like a nail. So for me, you know, try and look at them before they, uh, when they're training someone, do they get their full attention? Are they prepared? Do they have a session plan? Do they show their full care and attention? And then also, I think they probably provide a personal training service as opposed to just PT sessions. Like if, if they're trying to like lay it all down, like go hard or go home, or, you know, you've got to crawl out the gym, all that kind of stuff. That's when I'd have some huge huge red flags really good personal trainers should be able to train the person in front of them and what you know greg needs on monday might be very very different to what penny needs an hour later and what the penny needs on friday and all those kind of things so they're very adaptable as well
0: that's a really good answer i think it's really important to just make sure that whoever you're working with is actually thinking about what it is that you need you'll see personal trainers all the time just putting their clients through the same circuit all day so they'll have like five clients in a row or something and all of them are doing the same circuit and you have to ask yourself do they all need to be doing that
1: <laughs> it's complete and utter negligence for me um you know the, the, the old thing of like movement is medicine or exercise is medicine well medicine is administered at very specific times with very specific dosages and very specific goals. So that personal training you've just been speaking about then, it's like a doctor and you come in with a headache and goes, yeah, paracetamol. And I come in and I've got a bad stomach and go, yeah, paracetamol. And then someone else comes in and later like, oh, I've got a sunburn really bad, or I've got a rash, yeah, paracetamol. They're just handing out the dispensing the same rubbish to everyone with no discrimination for goals or tolerances or you know, age and ranges of motion, all those kind of things. So yeah, they're the ones that unfortunately give us a bad name. Um, and hopefully, we're. I think, you know, in our little bubble, sometimes we lift the bar, we see the good stuff, and then hopefully, yeah, we can try and ignore some of the bad stuff. So, <laughs> absolutely. If, if a trainer's regurgitating the same session of the day for everybody, that's just somebody who's looking to make you tired. They're not looking to make you better. And it's not hard to make someone tired.
0: Yeah, I think that's a really important thing. A lot of people have this idea that a good workout means feeling knackered and not being able to walk the next day. How helpful is that for people who actually want to be better?
1: um almost not at all to be honest so the analogy i often give is suntan or sunburn you know if somebody said oh i want to get a, a better suntan you know you apply stress to the body so it's kind of uv rays and you get a tan no one would go oh yeah well if i just get an absolute horrendous sunburn if i go and lay on the beach for 12 hours tomorrow that's going to be best for me it's like no we're going to give you a little bit of stress let you adapt a little bit more stress let you adapt and carry on going that way and even if we look at things like um muscle growth or you know strength and all those kind of things there's always a limit so let's say one set of exercise might be good two might be even better three might be like maximum results but then we start coming down this other slope where four sets five sets six sets is actually going to get you worse results so a really easy analogy to think of is if you were building the foundations of a house or well, you're building a house and you're going to do the foundations. If you dug the foundation so deep that it took all of your bricks just to come back up to the surface, you've been with, left with nothing to actually build your house. And it's a little bit like that with people in personal training sessions. They just do so much that all of their energy goes on recovering from that session, from all of that DOMS, from all of that soreness, that actually they don't make much of an improvement. And then there's loads of things like we think a beginner or you know lifting weights is highly skilled. And so you want to try and do that as much as you can in a low fatigue environment. So you're not, when you're not absolutely knackered as best as you can. Now, the more skills you get, the more experience you get, the more you can push that. But if I get a beginner or somebody who's learning weight, and I've got their heart rate really high and they're absolutely shattered from the, I don't know, the prowler they've just done with me, there's no chance they're going to be able to knock out a really good squat, a really good press up, a really good whatever it is. And then this is what I see with a lot of trainers, really limits them in terms of how they can program for clients. Because if I never take the time to expand what I'd call your movement vocabulary or your movement repertoire, then I'm very limited in what I can program for you further down the line. And so I just have to keep sticking with the battle ropes and the box jumps and the really bad kettlebell swings and the burpees, which I'm not saying any of those exercises are bad exercises, but if I take the time to teach you how to squat, teach you how to hip hinge, teach you how to press and pull according to your range of motion, Then over time, that's going to expand my movement vocabulary for you. And then there's more things that I can program in, gives us more options, keeps it more interesting for you and all those kind of good things. So um, long answer to your short question, but absolutely no. Um, Even down to kind of building muscle, that old school thing of like, you've got to rip the muscle and that kind of stuff. It's pretty much been disproven now. So if you're judging your level of soreness um, as an indicator of your quality workout, I'd absolutely ask you to, to reconsider that.
0: That was a really great answer. Thanks very much. Let's talk about where personal training fits into the healthcare pyramid.
1: Cool. So for me, like my big, huge goal with lift the bar education and training, I would love, absolutely love to put personal training at the foundation, at the base of the healthcare pyramid and one in which we get a society that starts to look at proactive healthcare as opposed to reactive healthcare. So typically what I'm speaking, you know, the majority of people at the moment who don't get their current exercise guidelines in, you know, most people wait till they get ill, then they go and see somebody to try and make them better again, whether that be an injury, whether that be a chronic disease, whatever it might be. Whereas I would absolutely love for us to be such a skilled profession, be viewed by the general public as a skilled profession that actually proactively helps you um, stay fit, stay healthy, you know, expand your health span as long as you can and not just use the current medical system to maintain your lifespan with the use of drugs or other interventions so for me I want us to be that base of that healthcare pyramid proactive healthcare and whether that be somebody working with you for the rest of their life or they work with you for six months but you've given them all the tools you've helped them fall in love with um, exercise and lifting weights and cardiovascular work and all that kind of stuff so they can be proactive in their own healthcare as opposed to what we currently see that reactionary. The, sorry that very reactionary i'm ill i'll go and get fixed
0: how much impact do you think doing exercise has on people's health
1: it's absolutely massive like it honestly if you could put it in a pill it'd be worth absolutely billions and it, it, even if you consider health just physically you know um, there's that booth paper we shared before but like 35 chronic diseases that are kind of um prevented or your incidence is reduced through physical exercise so anything we can think of from bones to rates of cancer to things like dementia so dementia in Wales and England is the biggest killer of women and we know that regular exercise can reduce your risk of developing dementia by kind of 20 to 50 percent I think it is off the top of my head so obviously there's lots of different factors to that but basically even just if we look physically it's going to help almost every facet of physical health you can think of. Then if we think from the, the social aspect, aspect of actually speaking, interacting with people, then we think from that psychological aspect and we see a huge number of studies coming out now to show that uh, things like depression and anxiety, which are very prevalent in the society, especially in this current time, can not only be um, managed but also reduced with regular physical activity. So if we think of somebody's health as you know, mental, spiritual, physical, whatever we want to think of it as, there's nothing more powerful or a bigger return on our investment for two to three hours a week that could impact the rest of our whole being for the other 165 hours of the week. I think it's just incredible.
0: Where can people start? How much does someone have to do to really affect that sort of change?
1: Honestly, for me, something to start off with is better than nothing. And I think this is, again, I go back to the idea of people have got this idea in their head that exercise is this brutal horrible like you're going to hate every single second of it it's boring kind of thing in their head so first of all you know that's why we've got um low you know go to a commercial gym every treadmill now is no longer a treadmill it's a treadmill with a huge screen in front of you that plays games that you know um, takes you on a virtual tour to distract you from this thing called exercise because what people think exercise is is either a typically very very boring or b very very tough so again think of that um like do you like curry by the way do you like curry quick question Cool. Yeah, so imagine if the first time you had a curry or every time you went to try curry, someone was like, Hey, Penny, here's a Vindaloo. This is curry. You'd probably be like, curry's not for me. Like, I just don't like it. I'm not going to, or if someone said to you, oh, no, I'll pay you 20 quid. You're like, all right, I'll finish that meal for the 20 quid well, whatever. But that's basically exercise, right? Most people's perception of it it's going to be the hardest. I'm, I'm going to feel sick. I'm going to be wobbly legs. I'm going to be sore for four days and they'll do it for a little bit and then they'll give up on it. So a a really good personal trainer, a really good, and health professional is going to help you a find it interesting hopefully and b finds your level of spice i suppose the way you're currently at and that can literally start with one time a week so we see that if somebody is you know let's say they're just being generally active um outside of the gym but one resistance training session a week is going to be plenty and i honestly think that the real sweet spot for most people is kind of two maybe three hours if they can do it um, but if you can be efficient in your training, and you can train for two hours a week or so. You're going to have absolutely huge um, returns. And uh, sorry, long answer, but I think a lot of people get caught up in the idea that oh, you know, bodybuilders go to the gym six days a week. Therefore, if I want to exercise, I've got to go to the gym six days a week. And there's a big thing in fitness where we kind of we almost promote. Fitness is overpowering. Like if you want to be a fitness person, then you've got to go to the gym like five days a week and you've got to prepare chicken, broccoli and rice six times a day and all this kind of stuff. And really, those two to three hours that we could get somebody in should be empowering, not overpowering. So uh, I honestly think it's far less than what most people probably perceive they need.
0: I think that's really useful for people to know because it's so easy to become overwhelmed by all of the possibilities of what exercises especially when so much of the fitness industry seems to be just bodybuilders that's what people think of when they think of fitness where where should someone start like is it better to start with resistance training or with running or like joining a class what do you think would be most helpful
1: so i would always go with the thing they're most likely to follow through on for the longest now if we were talking purely from a um, physical standpoint I'm definitely biased towards resistance training. And again, uh, you know, for probably all of my upbringing, especially, and um, probably before that, it was like the only people that really lifted weights were the the bodybuilders. Like, I remember like saying to my dad, I want to go to the gym. And like, for his generation, he was just like played football or whatever. It was like, it's a bit of a weird thing to do. Like, it was a bit on the extreme side of things. Um, But now it's becoming, you know, far more mainstream and all that kind of stuff, which is really, really cool. Um, But so we're going to see more people lifting weights and, and like I said, I think the recommendations now are that people don't just do cardiovascular work, that they do do resistance training. So I would definitely recommend that. But if someone's just going, look, I, I, I wouldn't feel confident, I don't currently have access to a personal trainer, I would honestly say do whatever you're going to do most regularly. Now, like I said, the caveat with that for me is people say, oh, just do what you enjoy. Absolutely do what you enjoy because something is better than nothing. Also appreciate that what you enjoy might not maximize your health returns, if that makes sense. So I might enjoy walking. I might be great, I might improve my insulin sensitivity, it might help me lose a little bit of weight. There's gonna be loads of good things that happen from that, but is that gonna increase my bone strength? Is that gonna increase my muscle mass or help me fight sarcopenia as I age? Maybe it won't. So to start off with, I just say, you know, find something that you enjoy, maybe where you feel supported or you feel you know less intimidated and then you know stick to that for as long as you can and then if you really do want to try and maximize your investment on your time in terms of your, your health span and your, your your return on investment then i would absolutely recommend resistance training because again a um, fairly recent review 2019 um, by McMaster university it basically showed that resistance training gets you all the benefits of cardiovascular work and a load more the only thing it didn't improve was something called your vo2 max so like Your ability to basically be an endurance runner. So if you want to do endurance, go and do endurance. But if you want just general overall health, then resistance training is probably your best bet. Because if we think about it, even cardiovascular work is just a response to muscular work, right? You start running, the muscles contracting more, they need more oxygen, so your heart and lungs react to that. And so we can still get loads of those benefits from doing a really you know decent set of weight training. They can, you know, it's basically like doing cardio at the same time. So that's going to be your big bang for your buck. But to go back to your original question, start with what you enjoy, start with what you're going to stick to. And then over time, if that becomes a bit more of a habit for you, then you might, you know, try and branch out into the resistance training. But what I'll never want to do is um, let perfect get in the way of better. So if I said it's perfect that you go to the gym and lift weights up when you first start, but you're going, no, I don't want to do that. I'd rather go and walk with my friends. Do the thing that's better first. Don't let perfect get in the way of better.
0: I think that's really important. When I first started trying to be more healthy, I ended up just doing lots of really extended pub pub crawls. So I'd like go to a pub and then I'd walk three miles and go to a different pub and then walk another three miles. So I ended up doing like nine miles right. and having maybe three beers. And it it turned it into an activity that I could do with a friend that was like moderately hard but also involved lots of beer.
1: <laughs> nice.
0: And sometimes you just need to make it something that you want to do before you make it something that's like optimal, I guess.
1: Yeah, like January is going to come around pretty quick, right? And loads of people are going to get told by the world that they need to go to the gym. And like I said, they're going to do that thing that's going to be on the treadmill for half an hour and they're going to hate every minute of it. And they're going to try and distract themselves. Um with the TV screens, and this is a form of motivation that's known as introjective motivation. So, basically, I'll stay on the treadmill because I want the weight loss, but every time I have to be on the treadmill, it basically takes an emotional toll on you or a motivational toll on you. And there's only so long you're going to do that for, especially if, say, something like weight loss stalls. And this is exactly why, come February, mid February, maybe even March, if we're lucky, lots of these people have dropped away because they have no connection with the activity they're doing. And they can put up with it for a little bit. You know, they've got some real, you know, this is, this is the year that's sort my life out. And then they go and do it. But then every time they're on that treadmill, every minute is taking some form of emotional toll on them. It's draining their batteries basically until basically they've got nothing left and they go, nah, and that's not for me. So I'd much, much prefer, like, you know, speak to the fitness pressure go, what do you mean, Penny? You're drinking three pints of beer. Yeah, but you also walk in nine miles, right? So that was better that you didn't let perfect get in the way of better. So, Um, absolutely you've got to find what you enjoy or start off with at least you can tolerate far more than the other activities
0: absolutely so you mentioned sarcopenia can you explain what it is for our listeners and then explain how lifting weights is going to have this long-term effect on our muscles
1: sure so once we get older probably at 50 onwards and maybe a touch earlier for women we start to naturally lose our muscle mass now We often don't notice this, it's about 1% a year, but we often don't notice this because that 1% of muscle mass that we lose is often replaced by fat. So our body body weight doesn't really change, however, each year we're basically getting a little bit less muscle mass, a little bit more body fat, and so obviously we're getting a little bit less healthy. And so if we think of this long-term, the way I like to try and describe it is, let's say that the strength or muscular requirement to get out of a chair is here. Now, let's say in my thirties, my strength's all the way up here. And then as I get to 50, every year, that's coming down 1%. And so the, this, this kind of buffer zone between how strong I am to get out of a chair and how much strength I've got is getting less and less and less. And then when we start getting down to this lower area here, this is where we start to see, like you might look at your nan or your granddad or someone and they're starting to have to push off the armchairs to get out or they start to use a stick to get out or they start to use a handrail as they go up go stairs. And that's because we've got this like insidious loss of strength, function, whatever you want to think of it, every single year. And it's not so abrupt that we notice it and go, oh my God, I need to change my life. I need to do something. It's just slow enough that we don't really tend to notice it. Basically, each year past 50, we're kind of getting weaker. We're kind of losing muscle mass. And so there's a huge push now because this is one of the biggest reasons why ultimately somebody might end up in, for example, uh, like a care home they can no longer look after themselves. They just lost the physical capacity to do it. And so there's a huge push now on this idea of resistance training to help people you know, try and fight that, try and give the body a reason to keep that muscle around, as well as obviously the nutritional interventions. But long term, yeah, we just, we just lose our physical capabilities very slowly after we get past 50. And if we don't do something to fight that, that buffer zone between what you want to be able to do and what you can do gets closer and closer and closer. And I've used the example of like a chair here, but let's say a game of golf's there and uh, running around with your grandkids is there. Well, if my strength is there, it's always coming down. They're the activities that get peeled away. Oh, I'm too old to do this now because I've lost that amount of strength or that amount of muscle mass. Can't play golf anymore. It starts to hit my back. You know, and we just kind of, life gets stripped away from us. Whereas there's very good indications that, you know, if you resistance train strain consistently, if you exercise consistently, then most of what we probably consider in the Western world as normal aging probably isn't that normal. It's just common.
0: It's an important distinction, normal and common, because if you look at older populations in places like Asia, everyone is still doing activity in their 80s and still able to squat to full mobility. And I say still, but most most adults in England can't do it already let alone in 40 years no how how much difference do you think someone can make like people assume that that's just what happens oh I'm old now my back hurts that's just how it goes can people strengthen their bodies in a way so that they're not in pain all the time and they can still do the things they want to do
1: yeah so it's it's always going to be on a case-by-case basis but if we just look at the general population as a whole Absolutely. We've seen even in like 90 year olds when they get resistance trained, they they tend to struggle to gain a bit more muscle at that age because you become what's known as basically anabolic resistance. So basically you find a harder spot of muscle, but their strength improves and their function improves and they can start to do things again. So um, it's one of those ones where it can have an absolutely huge impact. There's a great book called bending the aging curve. So instead of your kind of function coming down like this, we can try and bend it and make it give you basically physical autonomy for as long as possible. And the earlier you start, the better. But like I said, any age is a great age to start trying to um, start to take care of your body basically. And it's not that thing of, you know, maybe when you're in your thirties or twenties, it's like, I want to look a certain way. And I'm absolutely honest enough to admit that I do want to look a certain way, but I'm also starting to put coins in my uh, physical health retirement bank now. So that's why I think of it. Like we all, Society puts this massive emphasis on um what you're going to do for retirement, start saving for your pension. You've got a job now, save for your pension. Well, what happens if we're setting people up to be financially stable and physically bankrupt? So we need to start get helping people as soon as possible putting savings into that physical retirement fund so that when they do get older, they can still maintain as much of their quality of life, their physical autonomy as possible.
0: When it comes to resistance training you'll often see people doing all sorts of weird things uh (laughs) trying to i don't know confuse their muscles or whatever what sort of things do you think are the most important things for people to focus on when it comes to building a body that's going to last
1: So one of the absolutely huge ones for me, obviously it's going to be technique. First and foremost, you know, we don't want people um, slinging weights around, but one of the huge ones is if you go to the gym tomorrow and you wanted to try and be as safe as possible, I'd say, try and lift weights relatively slowly. And so when we look at a 10 kilogram dumbbell, people go, Oh, that's 10 kilograms. Oh, um, you know, there's a 20 kilogram dumbbell over there. That's twice as heavy, but. That's only half of the forces at minimum that your body's dealing with. So let me give you a really quick example. If there was a a big sheet of ice, wherever you're watching this now, 10 metres in front of you, it was really thin, and we said, right, you've got to cross the ice. Do so in the way that doesn't break the ice, of course. Most people, you know, might try and increase the surface area. But the question I'd ask you, Penny, is would you try and sprint across the ice or would you try and move slowly and methodically across the ice?
0: Really, really slow.
1: And why would you move slowly across the ice?
0: if I press down too hard I might snap it
1: yeah because we all inherently know that when we move things quickly there's more force being utilized generated and it's exactly the same thing when it comes to weights so if I again another really quick example to hopefully help people contextualize this if I took a let's say my uh, cup is 10 kilos my hands on the desk and I just rested that 10 kilo plate on my hand my hand would be fine it would have to tolerate it if I took that 10 same 10 kilo plate and dropped it from a meter, we all know because that's gathered some speed and acceleration, that's got a good chance of breaking my hand because the force is exponentially higher. So really just getting in whichever, You know, if you're just starting out, maybe machines are a great option if you haven't got somebody to kind of help teach you a little bit, And just think about almost like pushing and pulling through mud. So imagine you're some really thick mud, let's say I'm doing some sort of press, And I'm going to try and take my time. And all we're going to do with that is make sure that we're going to get as much as we can onto the muscles and probably reduce the amount of forces that are going to go through joints. Now, there's a big thing. People talk about joints wearing out and all that kind of stuff. Whereas most joints, which are synovial joints, which are most of your joints in your body, I suppose, they need movement. They need loading to stay young as such. So it's going to be really, really beneficial. But we can help those guys out by not throwing weights around. And if you just take a second to look around in any gym, most people have zero control over what they're doing. So one thing to take home, could, could you stop at any point during that range of motion? And if you could, you're probably doing your best for your joints initially. That might change as you move forward and you get more skilled, but just moving fairly slowly would be my first one. And then the second one really quickly is sticking within your ranges of motion. In fitness, we've made up all these kind of rules that are, arbitrary to you as a person so you might have heard someone say no lower the bar on a bench press to touch your chest well what happens if I've got really short arms and you've got really long arms your range of motion is going to be way different to mine what happens if you're you've got a thicker rib cage than me what happens at all you know different angle all these different things so always stay within your pain-free range of motion and if you think that range of motion is too small then maybe we can find an exercise that might be better suited for you so Push and pull through mud. Could you stop an exercise at any point to start off with so you've got full control? And then make sure you're staying in your specific range of motions not be worried about what everyone else says you should be doing.
0: It's interesting, the thing about joints and moving slow and controlled. You'll often see people in classes jumping around doing things that they're not really ready to do yet, as though HIIT training is a beginner-level thing. I don't think it is and I think that that is dangerous and it can often result in people hurting themselves and then not wanting to come back what are your thoughts on beginners jumping into things like HIIT training
1: no pun intended Um, so it literally goes back to what we just said a second ago so someone will go you know I want to back squat my client um Johnny's 60 um he weighs 80 kilos and I'm going to put you know he's learned how to squat and we've got 40 kilos on his back and someone go isn't that bad for his back or his knees or his ankles? And you go, all right, that's half his body weight, okay? If I ask John to repeatedly jump up and down on the floor, we're probably putting somewhere, you know, two, three, four, five times, depending on how fast you're running, their entire body weight going through those joints, those bones, those tendons, all those kind of things. So again, just because you don't see an external weight or it doesn't mean there's not huge amounts of force going through somebody's body. So every time somebody jumps, there is way more force going through them than something like a slow and controlled um, lift in, in something like a goblet squat or something like that. So yeah, absolutely. Those kind of being able to tolerate those forces because it's something that definitely has to be progressed, you know, sometimes sun burn again, make sure you've got that kind of base level before you try and push it on. And then also with those, they come at really high volume. So people are doing them for hours, you know, so if I said to you, do, Three sets of 10 on a back squat at 40 kg, so that's 30 total reps at 40 kg, compared to hundreds of jumps up and down on a spot in half an hour hit classes within, the amount of force that your bodies have to deal with is exponentially more in that hit class. So when you look at it that way, just because there's no external load there, if we just say pure amounts of force your body's dealing with, that hit class is way more advanced than the goblet squat.
0: I think that's a really important thing for people to hear because more often than not, beginners are afraid to lift weights so they go to classes thinking that that's where they're less likely to get hurt but in a class environment it's really difficult for you to learn how to make the shapes effectively for your body and move with a decent technique because everything's happening so fast and you're just busy jumping I don't really know what we can do about that though
1: well, it's tough but it's one of those where again we hear these these silly sayings where it's like oh learn to control body weight before you go and do external load so come to my class and we'll do 20 reverse lunges or something well actually no Could let's can everybody do a press up the first time they come in the gym probably not but can they get a five kilo dumbbell and lie on their back and, and press a five kilo dumbbell they probably can so actually external load might be more appropriate than than body weight so we always have to think less than body weight body weight and then body weight plus more resistance more weight more load whatever it might be more jumping more force and so yeah i mean for those individuals that's why it's so tough in a group class because i might say to somebody actually you're not currently ready for a reverse lunge maybe we're gonna because again that's got even more forces than something like a split squat because i'm having to step and catch my body weight before i come back in and actually, in a personal training session, I might be able to say, here's a dowel, here's something to hold on to, here's a band to unload yourself. So now you're dealing with less than body weight. So actually, what you're getting in that resistance training session is actually more appropriate, easier, whatever you want to call it, than that, um, that setting. So uh, the, the group setting. So that, yeah, that's, the, that's the, forever the challenge of group classes. They are not one size fits all, but the amount you can customise them is limited. Whereas, you know, in a one-to-one setting or a personal training setting, you can get that customization. So think of like the, the group setting as just somebody going, okay, Penny, here's a size 12 top, that's for you. Greg, here's a size 12 top, that's for you. Jane, here's a size 12 top, that's for you. It, it might fit some people, it might be just right for some people, it'd be too big for others, it'd be too small for others. And that's, exactly, you know, that's the same thing with group classes, whereas personal training is a bit more like, Let's tailor this dress or suit or shirt specifically to you. Um so I hope that analogy makes sense.
0: It did, yeah, thanks. If someone wants to get good at jumping, how how can they do it? How how would you recommend they build up to being able to jump well without their knees hurting or their ankles hurting?
1: So I'm definitely not something I'm an expert in, but if I just try and think of it logically. So first of all need like a base level of strength for those people so can they just move their own body weight let's say in a similar range of motion so something like a squat for some higher repetition start off with good control and then before when i get into the the more explosive stuff i might want to think about what we almost think of as like gravity reduced so think about i've got a, a box here and not a really high box this is the floor it's quite a low box I can jump on that box and then before I've got a chance to gather speed to go down towards the ground, I can land on that box, it can catch me, there's far less forces and then I can step down. So I can work on the jumping up and then not the landing. And then once i got better at that, then I can start to look at some lower level, just sticking the landing. So I'm just going to jump, stick the landing, make sure I've got quite nice mechanics that nothing's going too awry. And then over time, I can try and nudge up the the height that I land from. And then I can also look to kind of land and maybe jump again. So then we go into more rebound type stuff. But again, there's even a progression within that. So instead of going, uh, you know, just jumping on the spot up and down, it might be jump, do like a double bounce. So like almost like you're skipping ropes, like a little low bounce, absorb a lot of that impact, then jump up again. And all I'd look to do is try and increase the, the number of good reps that you can do over time in the easier version. And once we get to a certain number, then I try and make it a little bit harder and the whole thing starts again. So we're just getting your body used to tolerating that, those forces for less reps and then we increase it over time, just like we would do with weights.
0: I think that's a solid moral to training generally, just making sure that you're working through a range that you can tolerate and a volume that you can tolerate and gradually increasing it instead of trying to do all of the things on day one.
1: That is training. That is, that is no. It's not what the um, the message that a lot of the fitness industry is pushing forward. But ultimately, you only um, you only improve from the uh, sessions or exercises that you recover from. So yeah, doing what you can currently and then just trying to nudge that needle up over time. Because again, if we start to take this mindset, what we're talking about today of I'm lifting now to be like a, a superhero granddad. Right. I want to be able to run around my son's two when he's got kids. I want to be able to do all the things that I'm doing now. So if I look at it that my goal is that long term just to maintain my health span, physical autonomy as long as I can, then slow progress is no issue for me. I don't need everything tomorrow. So I can start to just say, what can I currently do? Do a bit more. What can I currently do? Do a bit more. And we'll probably find that most people get to that destination quicker doing that anyway than kind of crashing and burning and injuring yourselves or whatever it might be.
0: Absolutely. You posted something really interesting yesterday. I think it was yesterday about the association between smoking and back pain. Can you talk a bit about that?
1: Yeah, so it's just a a study that Ben Cormack shared. It's just, uh, it's obviously linking kind of this kind of full body inflammation. I would say a quick caveat bookmark pain is an extremely complex subject. When I go into some of the kind of physio groups and pain science groups, wow, do those guys have some issues? I think personal training's got some issues, but the it's, it's just so complex. But we do know when people are basically more inflamed, whether that be through obesity, it can also cause greater pain responses. But smoking seems to be correlated. So yeah, the more people smoke, the more pain they generally had around the body, whether that be um, headaches, but it was generally lower back pain, which was uh, much higher. Um, and again it's hard to unpick it sometimes because we might look at people who are what we'd call health seeking so the people that don't smoke they get regular exercise they eat well and they get less pain and then people who typically do smoke you know don't typically tend to eat as well or exercise all that kind of stuff so it's hard to unpack it Um, but it's just another little piece of um, information in the jigsaw I suppose of why some people get pain and, and others don't.
0: Pain is really interesting often if you're feeling a certain way you'll feel more pain than otherwise so like sadness can make you feel more soreness which I think is really empowering to know because then particularly if you're someone who does have chronic pain to be like okay maybe if I can do things to make myself feel better emotionally and mentally maybe that will have an impact on the physical side as well do you know anything about this what are your thoughts
1: yeah so this goes into what's known as like the biopsychosocial model so a lot of what used to be looked at in physio or even maybe you go to a physio now and it's like, oh, you've got um, your glutes aren't firing or your leg is one leg longer than the other. And this is the reason for your back pain. So very much focused on like, the, the biomechanical, the body. And now what we're seeing is that there's these huge kind of social and psychological factors that play into it. So a huge study, one of the biggest correlates of back pain was dissatisfaction with your job which again people look at it and go oh. but again we see when people are like i said a bit more depressed that maybe they don't move as much but they have definitely got higher um, pain responses we see that when people are worried about their backs so and maybe they've been told they've got a slip disc and now they've got this image in their head that they're literally their discs over here somewhere And i'm telling you now you can't slip a disc your disc go nowhere unless you've been in a severe car crash and you're dead so you won't be worried about your discs um, they've been told that that if they flex it, if they round their back, oh my God, their spine's going to shatter. And so you start to catastrophize. And this is something that I had, so probably about six years ago, probably seven years ago now, basically the lowest disc in my back bulged and it bulged so badly that it burst. So it wasn't there, basically. Um, Caused a lot of um, referral pain in my legs. I couldn't do a calf raise, couldn't lift my heel off the floor. And I was told at the time I was in the Royal Air Force as a physical training instructor, you may need to think about switching career, which I wasn't happy with at the time, and probably might be one of the reasons my back pain was correlated. Um, You you won't be able to run, you won't be able to do this. So I spent the day, I spent my days like a cardboard cutout. You know, I didn't want to flex my spine, I didn't want to move my spine. Um, And so you kind of worry all the time. And guess what? If you never round your back, even in daily living, guess what your body gets really intolerant for? rounding your back. And that's why when people, you know, they go to pick up a pen off the floor and, Oh, my back's gone. So, um, but it's, uh, this belief that I've got, that you had a weak back and all this kind of stuff can massively play into pain. So, uh, you know, a lot of it is trying to now, um, Understand the person they're trying to do. You know they're trying to speak to the person. What are their beliefs around the back? What's going on in their life in terms of obesity? Because I said you know this idea of inflammation in terms of their smoking, in terms of how they're moving. It could well be you know if you've not done any rowing and then you go and do like an eight-hour charity row and you've got lower back pain. it's a good job that you've annoyed your back and if you calm it down, it'll be okay. But for lots of people, they have you know non-specific lower back pain, and so now. A lot of those more progressive physios are looking into this. You know, how, how do you sleep? How how how's your? We'll all know oh, probably if you've got a bad back, if you have a bad night's sleep, your pain's worse. That feeds into bad, worse sleep again, bad lower back. So they're trying to diagnose or understand the person much more than the, oh, you've got this problem at this disc, because if we can all think of um, disc bulges and all this kind of stuff as wrinkles. We've all, all gotten, once you get over 30, there's a very good chance that whoever's listening to this podcast, if we took them and we looked at images of all their spines, they probably all have some form of disc bulges, but the vast majority of you have no pain. And what can happen at times is people see that image and go, oh yeah, that's the cause of your pain. That's why you can never squat again. And so somebody starts doing less, their back gets less tolerance, they get more pain, and it's this kind of downward spiral. But, um, but So for most people, yeah, how do you view your back? How do you view your injury? Um, what is your mood how can we help your mood because that may help your chronic pain um, how can we improve your diet can we improve your sleep all those things may play small contributory factors to your pain which is like as we said at the start very complex
0: it's so interesting especially when so often if there is pain or an injury the advice people get is to not move so like with back pain no flexing no squatting or hinging even though all day you're sitting down on chairs and standing back up again or picking up your backpack from the floor but no you can't do any anything in the gym that looks like that same shape that you're making in real life and I think often people are frightened by this really unhelpful advice and then they end up in more pain because they've spent six months avoiding exercise thinking that that's going to be helpful. Yeah
1: Um, that that was almost my experience so before I was lucky enough to be uh, you know, introduced to people like um, Ben Cormack, Mike James, Adam Meek, and some really great physios, I, I was the same. So I'd go into the, the Royal Air Force physios, and they'd say, oh, yeah, it's, um, it might be weak core. And I'd be like, I can do a dragon flag. It's definitely not weak core. Or maybe flexibility. I was like, I can pretty much do the splits nearly. It's not that. And like, they run out of ideas. So it was almost like, you know, but do, don't load your spine, whatever you do. Anyway, I started educating myself. And the first thing that kind of maybe it was that I just started doing some reading, and I realized, actually, I could fix myself. And I could and probably should get back to full function because what we do know is the bigger the damage to discs, for example, typically the quicker or the more prominent their healing is. So, And after about six months at the most, there's probably no more tissue damage to wherever was damaged. Now, of course, go and see your doctor and your physio and all that kind of stuff. That's not my medical advice. But what basically happened for me was... Um, I started reading this stuff and going, no, maybe I can actually. Maybe I can get back to running and I can do all the things I want to do. And I just started doing some isometric holds, like sumo, uh, sumo deadlift isometric holds. And then I started to make it feel better. And then I started to, you know, literally just long isometric holds, nothing that would try and annoy it, stay away from pain. And then just o- over time, let's say this is my kind of pain response. At the moment, you know, really low when I'd hurt my back for so long. And then over time, I just kind of work here and just try and nudge it up, nudge it up, nudge it up. And now there's nothing in the gym that I can't do in terms of, of, of pain and all that kind of stuff so yeah it, it's massively for a lot of people really really unhelpful it's, it's, the, it's the typical advice again we'll go back to generation things but oh it's just wear and tear on my spine and oh, I've hurt my back so I'm going to lie in bed for two days and yeah I'm not going to move that back anymore and all we're doing every single time that happens is just increasing somebody's fear of moving their back and then actually reducing the tolerance to that back which then just downward spiral again as we said. When
0: I injured my knees the first physio i went to see did like an ultrasound and then there was liquid under my kneecap or something and then she was like well you just have to stop squatting and running i was like but it's literally my job to do both of those things that can't be the advice you're giving me and then she discharged me that was my advice and i was discharged so i had to start the process again
1: brilliant
0: and it's just bonkers because I didn't fix my knee until I started squatting again and making sure that my knee could bend under load and not hurt.
1: It's, but... it, it's so tough, but I think for so many people, if all you know, they'll go to a physio that may have differing views to what other physios have, and that's what I said before about the kind of real problems they've got in that industry at the moment about approaches. But if all we can say to them is like, you can never do this thing again, just take these things away. Like you said, what happens if it's your job or what happens if it's your absolute passion and actually one of the biggest sources of your pain is now because the thing you love doing has been taken away, which makes you feel depressed, which makes you feel more pain, which means you move less and all that kind of stuff. I, you know, again, not a a physio, not a medical professional, but I do really do believe in the resilience of the human body. And if we nudge it in the right direction a lot of time, it will respond really well. You know, I just think of it from like an evolutionary standpoint. Imagine if we were all this delicate you know, back in like a thousand years ago and we just, that was it, you were done. Like Penny hurt a knee and she could no longer run or squat. Penny's dead. You know what I mean? Like, like there's got to be a way to get around it. And I've seen that with so many people now where they have got their physical autonomy back. They have been able to get through things. And like I said, there's loads of studies that show so many people are walking around with damage to joints, rotator cuffs, knees, backs, and they have zero pain. And oftentimes what is shown on a, an image doesn't correlate with pain whatsoever. So yeah, for me, I think it's about trying to help people to um, maybe realize pain's gonna be there for a bit. How can they manage it? How can they carry on doing the things that they want to do that's important to them? And not just saying to people like, no, let's take this thing off the, off the table. Because again, if you're working with like a decent uh, personal trainer, they're gonna be able to modify so many things for you to help you find a way to keep doing what you want to do and then build up that resilience, build up that tolerance.
0: I think this is why it's so important to have an understanding of like what your foundation shapes are like what shapes is your body supposed to be able to make because once you understand that all of the exercises are the same but different and modified so there's no reason that you can't do something based on wherever you are but people panic and they're like oh okay well I can't back squat so that's it for me no more knee bending
1: (laughs) yeah um I just think the better we get as exercise professionals, the better better we get at promoting all this to people, the more options they will see that they have. You know, the better you get, you know, you realize that uh, a squat is just more knee bending than hip bending basically. And then I can come up with a hundred different ways to help you bend that knee under load and that's currently appropriate to your range of motion, your tolerance, all that kind of stuff that we can then gradually nudge that needle up. As opposed to, like you say, yeah, when you first start maybe and you, you feel a little bit more limited and it's like, oh, I can't back squat, mm, leg press hurts, and, uh, we won't bother with that. Um, so I think, yeah, the more we understand, and this goes back to some of those understanding, underlying principles of things like you know, anatomy and understanding joint forces and compressive forces on the patella, all those kind of things that we're not taught on level three.
0: There's a decent amount of research done in like, the effects of living a sedentary life can you go into that a little bit
1: yeah so whenever someone says this i just straight away almost every facet we can think of so if we think of like anything from like the economy to um how much money it costs in the economy absolutely huge in this current time but um, 30, there's a great paper by Booth and I've got a little infographic that I can probably try and share somewhere that you can probably sh- share on your page or something and 35 or 36 chronic diseases that are basically increased within activity and like I said it's everything from rates of cancer to diabetes to um, heart health to sarcopenia to psychological moods everything we can think of we are designed to move but we're in an environment that encourages us not to or we have a society where as I said I think nowadays there's a good thing happening in a way with the kind of weird Instagram world that there is in terms of a lot of people who are 19, 20, it will be absolutely normal for them now to go to the gym and hopefully go to the gym for the rest of their lives. Whereas a lot of older individuals, as I was saying before, their generation was like only the like the freak bodybuilders go to the gym. And so for them to try and start has been probably a little bit harder. Um, so I do think that will hopefully change. But yeah, being um, sedentary is probably, you know, it's just, a, it is almost like a silent killer. We can probably think of it that way. And even if it's not going to make you, I don't know, unhealthy as such, it's certainly not going to help any of us to live our life to the extent we want to. Because every, you know, for every level of health, you can kind of improve or your fitness a little bit. It just opens up doors, opens up possibilities in terms of, you know, playing with your grandkids or playing that round of golf or continuing to ride your motorcycle, or whatever it is that you enjoy doing in your life at whatever age. You know, I'm 34. Currently, got mates who are starting to tell me already they can't do this because they're this old or that old. And you think, if you if you're letting that happen now at 34, you've probably got 45 years of decay ahead of you, where stuff's just going to be taken away. And I want to rage against that. Do you know what I mean, I want to fight against that as hard as I can. And we can probably all, we can all do that two or three hours a week.
0: It's incredible how willing people are to just accept that they can't do things anymore when they're only in their 30s. Like, we're probably going to live until we're 80. So that's a, long, that's a long time to not be able to do any of the things that make you happy.
1: It's, 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 that, it's that thing of, you know, again, a lot of the fitness industry currently promotes that, oh, lose weight. And we all want to help people lose weight because a lot of people want to do it. But exercise is so incredibly powerful compared to just losing weight. Again, my stupid analogies, you know, thinking of like selling exercise for weight loss, is like selling an iPhone as a paperweight. An iPhone can be a paperweight. It can absolutely do that. But it can also do a million and one other things if you get the right app and it's incredibly powerful. That is exercise. And yeah, I think just because... We've been told that that's what aging is. Maybe we've seen our grandparents do it. Maybe we're starting to see our parents go through that process where stuff just gets taken away from them because of aging. It's just normal aging. And so they start to accept it. And it won't improve, like exercise probably won't improve their lifestyle. But as we spoke about, they've probably got 45 years, 50 years, or something like that, of decay ahead of them. And they'll be propped up on medications and hospital visits and whatever else it might be. Whereas if we can help people just to get involved two, three hours a week now, all their physical autonomy will just be with them for so much longer um, and yeah it's just it's just so huge I just, I just wish more people listen to us
0: <laughs> I hope that if people start thinking about exercise as a long-term thing rather than I want to look a certain way or fit into a certain size clothes then it will become much easier to establish habits that last for a long time. Because if you're focusing on just doing two or three hours a week, instead of trying to train six days a week and also only eat 1200 calories and also make sure you're getting 200 grams of protein and also doing a run every day, like it's unsustainable because it sucks and you'll hate it and you won't want to do it. And also you'll be knackered and probably still hurt yourself anyway. So then either way you just stop doing it because it's too much. But if it's just two or three hours a week forever, that's easier, I think.
1: I th- yeah, massively. And, and again, I think it's, A, it's more, I think of this little thing of this difference between optimal and efficient, which we'll talk about in a second. But then, you know, if, if you think of like anything, anything that somebody enjoys doing, there's a good chance that at some point that could be taken away from them if you don't start tending to your own garden as such. Now, like I said, so whether it be continuing to play football or living independently on your own or being the best grandparent can, I don't know anything you can think of up to a, a, there might be a few things, I don't know, fishing, I don't know, something but like you need your physical autonomy to do that. And just know that that from the age of 30 is starting to get taken away from you, whether you decide to do something about it or not. So you can try and fight that. And think I want to continue to live the most um, full life that I can for as long as I can, or um, you're basically making the choice that, Stuff's going to get taken away from you and you're kind of okay with that, I suppose. And so, yeah, going back to your point a second ago, because so much of the fitness industry is overshadowed by bodybuilding, by physique stuff. You know, look at the front of men's health or women's health and all this kind of stuff. They are people that are chasing optimal. And what I mean by that is they are chasing the absolute best results they can get for their physique or whatever it might be. And with optimal comes a disproportionate amount of time and effort invested for the last 10 to 20% of your results. Whereas what most people should focus on is really efficient training. So for every minute they put in, they get something out, really good returns. So that can be basically, if we think of like training, it's probably resistance training two or three days a week. It's probably in that hour, trying to keep that session as busy as you can without making yourself overly um, kind of heart and lungs fatigued so we do things like our supersets putting exercises together we look to live with really good form really good control and then we try and progress that week on week where we can with our kind of habits it's like same wake and sleep times um getting some steps in where we can protein and veggies at most meals for most people that's going to be pretty efficient if they can do most of those things they're going to be a huge way to where they need to be then if someone comes to me and says yeah but greg i want to be 5% 5% body fat and be on the front of men's health. Well, I'm going to say, okay, for those last 20%, you're now going to have to go from working out two days a week to working out five days a week. And instead of just getting protein and veggies at each meal, you're going to have to track all your calories. And instead of, you know, um, making the gym a part of your life, it's now going to become become your life because everything you do is going to be about recovering for your gym sessions, eating around your gym sessions and all those kind of things. So I think a huge mismatch we've got is people are using this idea of optimal to um kind of inform people what their efficient training should look like. So the 99% of people should be looking for efficient, those big rocks, those big bang for your book, habits and behaviors. The rest of it's just sand that you can try and put in there if you want to.
0: I hope that people slowly, slowly within the industry, start sharing stories of just normal people doing stuff and not just the bodybuilders and the athletes. Because there's this dream I guess for people to look like an athlete, but most athletes train twice a day so that's their job and it's important to remember that
1: absolutely and again it's just like something that i'm trying to champion myself i'm a trainer yes but i'm a dad i'm a husband um i've got three businesses that we're trying to keep going so i resistance train three days a week and so for me everything is about efficiency but that's not just about you know, lifting weights two or three days a week. It's can I make every rep the best rep I can? Can I choose the best exercise that I can to get the most out of that exercise? Can I get the most out of each session? Um, you know, I don't want to weigh and measure all my food, but I do have fairly similar meals I'll have um, kind of breakfast and lunch, and then I'll have whatever my family's having for tea. So it's a very efficient way of doing things for me. Um, and that's what we've got to, I think, promote for the, the vast majority of people. Fitness is just something that empowers the rest of your life. It doesn't overpower it. Uh, and in doing so, we're going to get more people buying into it, I hope.
0: I hope so. Thank you so much for your time today. This, I think, has been really interesting. I'm sure people are going to get a lot out of it. If people would like to find you somewhere on the interwebs or do your course, where can they do so?
1: Well, thank you. So, um, yeah, most of my stuff goes on Instagram. So, Greg, starts with a double G. So, G-R-E-G-G underscore L-T-B. Um, and there you'll have links to my PT course, um, my coaching page that I'll be starting soon, and all, all those kind of good stuff. Um, so, yeah, that's probably the best place to, to check out.
0: Awesome. Thanks very much. I will put those in the show notes. And before you go, do you have a fun fact for us?
1: I think I do. Well, you you guys can be the judge of that, I suppose. So, um, this is from uh, an audiobook I listened to called from Bill Bryson, which is, I think, it's called The Short History of Everything. And he literally takes you from like the Big Bang all the way through. Um, And something that he said that made me feel really insignificant, but it's really interesting, was um, the nearest kind of galaxy or planet they reckon that may have extraterrestrial life on is about 200 light years away. So let's say small chances that they are there and that they have the technology to see all the way to Earth. This is the bit that blew my mind. If they could see that, they wouldn't be seeing us today. They'd be seeing things like the French Revolution. They'd be seeing... People with muskets, they'd be seeing horse and cart, and they'd be like, these guys are Neanderthals, because obviously it's taken 200 years for that light to get across to them. So, since as as I heard that, I was like, that's insane. So, there could actually be, you know, extra, you know, UFOs 200 light years away watching us now, but they're not actually seeing us, they're seeing what happened 200 years ago. So, I thought that was pretty cool.
0: That is really cool. I wonder if we're ever going to develop technology that will allow us to see other life somewhere else from here and i guess we will also be 200 years away from being able to see anything so maybe not maybe not for hundreds of years
1: yeah no i think we're we're probably quite far away away from it but, but fingers crossed who knows it'd be be quite nice to think we're not the only ones eh?
0: i think so it seems so unlikely that in such a large large universe this is the only place where life managed to happen it just the the probability here just feels very low. What
1: it does. But again, if you listen to that book and he talks about that kind of the atmospheric pressure and like the chances of it like being perfect for us to live here and if it were just a tiny bit higher, a tiny bit lower, if the um like big black bang had expanded at a slightly faster or slower rate, like we just wouldn't be here. Like the chances of us being here are tiny. And so maybe we are the only ones, I don't know. But like I said, there's and there's so many that we'll never know for a long, long time that maybe there is someone out there, who knows.
0: I think it's kind of a cool thing, you know. Definitely kind of a cool thing. And I imagine if there is anything somewhere else, it doesn't need to, like, look like us because it will have a different environment. So if there is life, it will be a different sort of life.
1: Oh, I mean, yeah, well, that'll be the next challenge, right? We identify each other and how do you communicate, who knows. <laughs> my, my brain's not big enough to deal with that kind of stuff, so I'll leave you that one.
0: <laughs> well, thank you very much for the fun fact and thank you for your time today. This has no
1: been problem. great. No problem. Thanks for having me on, cheers.